Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Rooted Deep, a podcast featuring Reba Bowman and Allison Hale. Hey everybody, this is Allie Hale and I am with Heather Sorensen here at the Root in the Rooted Deep podcast. Reba Bowman is not with us today and so she decided um, during this time that we were going to just jump in and do an interview with Heather Sorensen. If you have been in choir practice, or if you've done a cantata in the last few years, or an Easter, uh, an Easter event at your church, you have probably seen Heather's name on your music books. And so we're just really thrilled to have her here today. She and I went to college together. And as you know, many times when you're in one major and somebody's in another major, you don't necessarily get to see each other all the time. Because uh, I think Heather, you probably spent four years in uh, a music practice room somewhere. Uh, hidden in the hidden hidden in the communicative arts building, and uh, I was on the other side of the campus. But anyway, so 30, 30 years later, here we're talking about the power of music, and so she is a composer and arranger, and has traveled all over the place, um, just sharing her musical gifts um, with orchestras and with choirs. And we are glad to have her today. She's going to be talking to us. We're going to be asking her questions specifically about the power and the importance of music. So welcome, Heather. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so let's just dive in and discuss the power of music. Yeah, well, obviously music is powerful, and I think that God designed it to be that way. Um, I think there's kind of a mystery to music. You know, why do different combinations of rhythm and pitch affect us so greatly? And then if you rearrange and have a different combination of rhythms and pitch, all of a sudden it affects you in a different way, you know? And um why, why does God desire to hear his children sing to him so much? That's, that's a theme we see often in scripture. Um, sometimes I think of what Sunday mornings must be like in heaven with God listening to the collective voices of his children in all different language. I think that must be, must be a cool thing. But um, as far as the importance of music, it really is a recurring theme throughout scripture. And there are so many times in scripture when music is used for something really important. Like if we take scripture literally, it says that the morning stars sang as a choir while the angels shouted for joy when the earth was formed. I mean, I I can't even imagine that, but that's a pretty big event. And so, you know, there was music. Um, Music was used to teach the Hebrew children their history. Even today, you know, we we use music to teach our children the ABCs or the states and the capitals. Another way that music was used in scripture that was important, it was used any time that they were declaring war. Mm -hmm. And you can hear my little dog out there. I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) Up until recent history, music still announced war, even in our own country's history. You know, um, in scripture, God used music and showed how music was used to soothe and to change hearts and spirits. Um, Music was used to gather God's people all throughout scripture. You know, God, God used the trumpet and people gathered. And I think it's neat that that same music and that same symbolism carries through into the New Testament when there, there is going to be another trumpet and that will be used to gather God's people once again at the rapture. So obviously 
music is and it is powerful and it makes sense then that we have powerful moments in our worship service during the music portion and what yeah that is that's an interesting thing because you've brought in so many I mean even with music touches every you can't help it music touches every part of our lives right you said you know war peace every uh church you walk into a grocery store you're going to hear the different types of music guide how you shop uh and so there's certain stores that know that have those tricks of um the restaurants that play fast music so you eat fast and leave and 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 vice versa and i know every single one of us have that favorite style of music for the specific moment that we're in. Uh, and I, I, like you said, I think that was um, just purely God's design. But everybody has seems to have so many strong opinions on what it should and should not be. And I'm, you know, we've talked about, me, Reba and I laugh about my taste in music goes, uh, I mean, it's just all over the place, mainly an 80s and 80s uh, rock music as well as I do like a little bit of classical and I'm just I am all over the map on this one anything I something I don't like would be a little southern gospel goes a long way and uh, one song can last I feel like one song can last about eight years but anyway um we have such strong opinions even just the way we talk about it so uh, just share with us what 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 do you think having studied music how should our church music guide us and what our church music should sound like really? Yeah. So everyone, you know, seems to agree on the fact that music is really important in the church. And yet still, after all these years, people seem to have really strong opinions on what that should be or should not be, um, what church music should sound like. And I've been a career musician for over 20 years now. And so I have heard every argument for and against everything. And um, there are some really good points that people make, but a lot of the arguments that I hear are people just kind of regurgitating phrases that often don't have a scriptural basis. You know, a couple of the phrases, I've got a couple of the phrases I'm going to share with you. Please. Uh, A couple of the phrases that I hear often when people are trying to make their case for or against something. One of the, the things that I hear often is ridicule of what people call 7-Eleven songs, which if you're not familiar with that term, um, it's (laughs) kind of a mocking of songs that use seven words and they repeat them 11 times, that kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't have a problem with that because scripture makes a pretty strong case for 7-Eleven songs. You know, there are whole Mm -hmm. songs that repeat the same line over and over again for his mercy, you know, know, also in the New Testament. Yeah. Taught that there are heavenly beings in the throne room of God whose job it is to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. They say that on repeat for eternity. And it's still, yeah, it's, um, it isn't enough to describe God's worth and glory, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. No, that's true. So that is one of the phrases that you hear. What's another one? Yes. Uh, it's the old song, new song battle. Um, mm. As someone who writes new music for a living, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm not real impressed with the old hymns, new choruses arguments. You know, we're commanded mm-hmm. to sing new songs to God. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. As some, someone who comes from a faith system growing up that had rules to regulate just about everything, yeah. 
I love to see that scripture is refreshingly broad and refreshingly minimalistic in its commands about singing and about music. You know, we're commanded to sing in spirit and in truth, which basically is sing with good theology and sing with your hearts and your spirits engaged. Right. And um, another another argument that I hear often is that um, some people believe that Christian music should only be vertical, you know, from you to God. And yet we are given the freedom in the New Testament to not just sing songs of worship to God, Mm -hmm. but also to sing to each other and to minister to each other with our music. You know, the scriptures should encourage, admonish, and speak Mm -hmm. to our fellow believers with music. God mentions that several times in the New Testament. So those are just a few of the little things that I hear often. And I typically hold my tongue, but since you asked. (laughs) (laughs) But since we asked, exactly. And I'm so glad you brought those up because there's sometimes when I, the, the, the phrase that we continue to repeat, whether it's a psalm or whether it's a song, I've seen, and I think you've probably been in a church where you seem, and, and working in, in my ministry of redemptive ministry that, that we actually rescue women, some of their favorite songs are those songs that just, they can, they can just sing the same phrase over and over again. And it's just layer upon layer of, um, and I, and I can, I have people in my head, like, or uh, faces in my mind right now that I'm thinking of those repetitive songs, that Seven Eleven situation where they get louder and they get more joyful. And I feel like they get, um, more just deeper in their gratitude for what God has done for them. And so why would you just say it once when you can say it for eternity? You know, how great God is and how, how wonderful his, his, his work is toward, uh, you know, toward his people. And uh, so you, you, your career specifically, you talk about having a career in music. It leans heavily into the church choral composition. And so, like I said, we've seen your name on our, on our cantata books, but is the choir dying out? I mean, some I sometimes I see there's choir, then some, you know, and I, I hope not because that was my favorite time in uh, at, when I lived in the states was was choir time. Is the church is the church choir quiet? Uh, you know, dying down? Is it? What's what's the situation? How is that going to affect your your career? Yeah. So, well, you know, there are places where the church choir is um, not thriving. There are churches. Mm. There are regions. Um, but then there are places where the church choir is thriving. Mm-hmm. Just this year, in the next couple months, I'm thinking of a couple places where I'll be where the choir loft will have between 100 and 200 people in the loft on a regular basis, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly enough, choirs are not dying in schools and universities. In fact, yeah, okay. They're thriving at high levels of excellence. Um, Mm -hmm. Even in the secular world, I just read an article that speaks to the phenomenon of pop-up public choirs of massive size that's just gaining popularity. So the only place where there is talk of choirs dying Mm -hmm. out really is in the church, which I find interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's the place where it shouldn't be. (laughs) Right. And I think that that I think that needs to be a great study for some doctoral candidate somewhere. I don't have time to do yeah. that, but someone needs to right. see what that is. But, you know, group singing and um, mm-hmm. organized group singing has been around yeah. since the Old Testament. And yeah. if it has survived, if choir has survived the last 20 years, um, 
which I think has been the greatest battle against choirs. If choirs has survived the last 20 years, I can't imagine it ever dying out completely. Uh, The Old Testament speaks of elaborate music ministries with trained singers and trained orchestras that go way, way, way back into the Old Testament. Um, You know, to the question when you said, is it dying out, should it die out? Yeah. You know, choirs are not scripturally instructed or commanded to be used in worship. Um, and if that's not the culture of your own society, you know, then don't do it. But I do think that a lot of churches prematurely and hastily got rid of their choirs about 20 years ago. And we're seeing in the industry, we're seeing a big push now, even in super contemporary churches that maybe didn't even have a choir before to start a choir. And of course, it looks different. It sounds different. It takes on a different role, but um, it still is a choir. So there's a comeback, and I'm interested to see, you know, how far that goes and what that looks like. That's that's interesting. I always I just remember the the fear of me singing in in this in a choir and the choir director walking in front of my section, and you know, just with that that pitch, you know, he's checking everybody's pitch, and I'm like, you know, I'm. I get so nervous about that. And I still, I, you know, I think about that. I saw a meme the other day about that. And I was just like, you know, it brings back from 20 years ago. It just brings back that nervous. Is it me? Am I, you know, am I singing off pitch or, or whatever? And that's, but more importantly, I, thankfully I've been involved in choirs that worship was the ultimate goal. It wasn't to sound good. I mean, thankfully we sacked like we sounded great, but the ultimate goal was to just bring everybody talk about, you know, just the the mission of bringing everybody in the congregation and pointing them um, to Christ and to the message that they're going to hear. And I think that's a wonderful, uh, a wonderful place to be, whether you're in a group or whether you're at the piano or whether you're even in the congregation, just to be part of that worship. But, you know, talking about Christian musicians and talking about, you know, your role in in arranging and composing but what are some what are talking christian musicians in general and like you said there has been a shift culturally in the last in the last couple of decades with church music what are some of the traps that christian musicians fall into when it comes to this this area or this this career yeah um there are definite traps and i see it in myself and i see it in others But um, pride, you know, I think that goes just about anything, but especially, I don't know, I I see it a lot in music. Insecurity, that's a big one for musicians and um, where we let it paralyze us sometimes in our ministry and in our careers. Comparison is a big thing. Um, Judgment. I I think that if social media has done anything, It's exposed our hearts in the last number of years. Um, You know, even as a composer, there are Christian composers who will look down their noses at other composers and other songwriters. If you're a career musician, there's a, there tends to still be jealousy and insecurity, even in the Christian music world. And it's disheartening. And it's something that I'm continually having to guard my heart against because I am prone to that just like everyone else. Um, And I think that social media has been a great tool, but it's also been a massive tool in either um, snowballing that, for lack of a better word, or maybe just simply showing our true hearts, possibly both. 
my thoughts are that as a believer, if God has gifted us in a certain area, he has already created a place of service and of ministry for you to use your gift, an area of service. Um, our gifts will be utilized. There's, there's no reason for the competition that Christian musicians might feel with each other, whether that's on a worship team where someone gets used more than another person, a, a composer whose work is chosen to be highlighted or featured. You know, we're all on the same team if we're believers. There is room. When God uses one musician greatly, it's not at the extent of how he plans on using your gift. That's not how God works, I don't think. But yeah, we definitely do have traps that we fall into and no one is immune to those, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah I can I can see that definitely just in ministry in general. And like you said, those uh, the words comparison, um, self-esteem or insecurity, that type of thing that, you, you know, really speaks into a lot of different a lot of different cultures. You wouldn't think of insecurities with when you think of musicians because you just think that they have the most, you know out their personality, they're up on stage. Um, but that's, that is interesting to, to understand that point. Um, and there's, you know, so you were just in, I think you were in New York city this past, uh, this past Christmas and you were, um, just tell us a little bit about that opportunity or that, you know, you've done it several times and you're on a big stage and kind of explain, explain what, what that was. Uh, it sounded exciting. Wish I could have been there. Yeah. Um, so th there was a uh, a concert of holiday music and we called it holiday music. I, I actually don't choose the title of the concert. It's the production company. <laughs> but it was the holiday music of Heather Sorensen. And um, uh, so it was mostly Christmas music, but there was some Thanksgiving music because it kind of fell on that and right around Thanksgiving, jump-starting okay. season. Um, and there were singers and choirs from across America. And... Mm. Uh, an orchestra and yeah we just came together and we had a couple they rehearsed on their own in their own cities and then when we came together we had a couple of days of intensive rehearsals in New York City and I think one of the biggest thrills for me on a big stage like Lincoln Center um, is just knowing that having the opportunity to proclaim God's truth on a world stage yeah. Um, you know, anything that we get to do in our ministry is such a privilege in the service of the King. And some days it doesn't feel like that, but it truly is. And then when you have those moments where it is on a world stage, um, I feel a responsibility, a humility. It's like it humbles you, but it brings me so much joy to sing God's yeah. message and to sing God's truth in a large venue like that. Yeah. That's, that was, it looked amazing. It seems um, just like, like you said, like so much fun, but also what an amazing opportunity that you have, especially when at Christmas time, when people's hearts are a little bit, hopefully a little bit softer and a little bit more open to the message and what, a better way to get if there's not a better way to get that message through than in music, right? So right. you were just on that stage, um, you know. So you're uh, think about this. There's so many things to keep track of, especially as you know when you're when you're doing direction and um, 
there's so many things to keep track of on stage. How do, how does this affect how you worship? Do you just worship at a different time and then go into performance mode on the day or how to, how does that work? What's, what's going on? A little bit. And yeah. um, some Christians have a hard time with the word performance yeah. and they make a very big distinction between performance and worship. And I completely understand where they're coming yeah. from. From a musician standpoint, we approach a Sunday morning service or a worship service with the same technique and the same preparation that we would a performance. So I don't have a hard time with using the word performance, yeah. but I, okay. I, I have learned to be okay with the fact that my greatest times of personal worship and fellowship with God are typically not on Sunday mornings. Um, right. And there's nothing in scripture that condemns me for this. I think that we ourselves, we condemn ourselves sometimes for that as musicians, because so often we work so hard to create a service that facilitates worship for everyone else. And we do everything we can to eliminate any distraction that would pull their attention away from God. So it's normal for us on stage to feel like we should be in 100% worship state emotionally. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I've lived on stage most of my life. And especially as the pianist or the accompanist or in the band, um, my job on stage is usually full of timing logistics and trying to mind read in real time. And so that means that if I'm facilitating someone else's worship time well, if I'm doing it well, that means that I'm probably not in an emotional state of worship myself. Right. Yeah. I'm in an obedient state of worship since I'm fulfilling mm -hmm. the ministry, but those right. are kind of different things for me. So I have learned that for my wiring, the way God has wired me, that my greatest time of worship where I have the deepest communion and the deepest fellowship with God is actually when I'm at home alone writing music. That's right. right. And yes, other people are wired differently than me and other people have different roles on the worship team than I might have. And so they may be able to um, be in a different state of worship than I am, but mine usually is in the active obedience state of worship. <laughs> And that makes, that makes perfect sense because um, if we are going back to scripture, if we are doing everything um, heartily as unto the Lord, there are certain times when those technical and the timing issues and the logistical issues and the, you know, the sound issues and, and all of that does come into play so that, like you said, other, so that everybody else is pointed to um, to the purpose of the worship, which is, you know, just pointing them to God. And I think that is such a, I don't, I don't mind the word performance because I understand that it comes from a heart of wanting to do your best toward the Lord. And I think that, I think that's, like you said, it's the obedience, uh, the obedient arm of, of your worship ministry. Um, so you talked about, you've talked about direction a little bit and you've talked a little bit about philosophy, but I want to go back and talk a little bit about your writing. How did you get started writing music because I don't remember that being part of you know your your major in college as far as you know learning you know and especially especially where we learned uh where we went to college uh, so how did you get started writing music 
Yeah. So um, it was between my sixth and seventh grade year, actually. I was about 11 or 12 years old. And my church youth group was going to a week of youth camp at a, a, a like a church camp in Tennessee. You might be familiar with that camp. And um so in the afternoons, you could either sign up for the athletic competitions or you could sign up for the music competitions. And um, I always wanted to be athletic, but I never was. And so, of course, I just signed up for the music competition. So I signed up for a piano solo and I got third place. And okay. the girl, yeah, third place, not too bad for, a, you know, an 11 or 12 year old. The girl who got first place, um, she was 16 years old and she was phenomenal. She played this amazing, amazing piano solo and she beat me by cheating. Uh oh. I, I know. <laughs> I knew she was cheating because after she had played this amazing song, she announced that it was her own original arrangement. And, you know, I had never met a composer or an arranger before, but in my little 12-year-old brain, um, the only arrangers and composers were either old men or they were dead. And so surely a 16-year-old girl couldn't have done this in my little brain. And looking back now, I'm just horrified that I thought that because I'm sure she was telling the truth. (laughs) I'm sure she was amazing. So I told my little friends um, that day, I was so upset. I told them, I said, well, if she's going to beat me by cheating, I'm going to go home, write a truly honest original arrangement, and I'm going to come back next year, and I'm going to beat her at her own game. See, the Holy Spirit had to go. Yeah. Petition mode. Um, so I did. I went home and I sat down and I wrote my very first little piano arrangement of um, mm-hmm. the old hymn, There is a Fountain. And it was, mm-hmm. her, but you know, it. I loved it. It gave me a place to start. And I have been writing music ever since. And so when I got oh. to college, I had some of my um, private music professors that really encouraged me to cultivate that just kind of on the side and in private lessons. And one of them specifically said, you really need to look into publishing. And so that just kind of my career. That is amazing. I love that. And I I think that's, that is exciting because it's obvious um, that was one of the, the passions that you were given and one of the gifts that, that God just kind of revealed to you early, early on. Um, And I think that's such a gift. Uh, from him that that he's sharing through you, you know, just your music uh, and everything. I wanted to to talk about specific projects that you've got going on right now. I think we mentioned the residency uh, that you have coming up, but what are some of the current projects that you've got working on? Yeah, so I um I have a new requiem that is about. Mm-hmm. And I know not everyone is a trained classical musician, but a requiem basically is a large sacred classical work for choir and symphony. So that was a big project. That was a commission that was, um, it was commissioned in honor and memory of those that were lost during COVID. So that's getting ready to come out. This week, I have been um, working on another large extended multi-movement work also for choir and orchestra. And um, the title is called these ancient words and movement is a scripture setting so um that that's what these ancient words are basically at scripture so that's that's what i'm working on now. oh that's awesome what are, what have been um you've you've been in this for like you said um several decades not several just two two little decades we're very young 
um, you and I, but (laughs) what are some of the hardest projects that you've had over the years besides the Southern gospel? We get that. That's hard. Um, It's actually not because it's just, again, it's one of those repetitive and they start over again. I tease my husband about the song because I'm just like, they would just go, well, and then they'll start the song all over again. That's, that's Southern gospel. And if you love Southern gospel and you're sitting there listening to me, you know, it's true. But what are some of the hardest projects that you've had to work on or that you've been, um, that you've worked on over the years? Um, I think I would probably have two categories for that. The first one is um, some of my hardest projects in the last few years have been commissioned works in memory mm-hmm. of people who have taken their own lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in memory of suicide victims, when the family reaches out to you or the church reaches out or like a, a couple of years ago, Texas A&M reached out and had a student that took mm-hmm. their own life. And those are hard. Those are very hard yeah. emotionally because you want to write a work that honors the memory of this person, but it needs to, you have to write in the gravity of the situation and yet at the same time offer hope and comfort and healing for the people. So that one, that's, that's hard. Um, And another maybe category of hard projects is when you get a commissioned work in and they're so specific in what they want that they leave no room for creativity for you to be mm-hmm. an artist and you know you end up delivering something that they asked for but it doesn't I don't know it always feels a little boring and flat to me because they're so incredibly specific thankfully most of my commissions give me a lot of leeway just to be who I am as an artist oh that's amazing um and I actually I'm working mercy workshop is commissioning an art piece um, from a friend of ours, actually. Uh, and I, I was really trying to keep that in mind, those thoughts of not wanting to be too specific. I have something in mind, but also wanting to hear her creativity as an artist. And with art, it's similar um, when you're talking about just composition and just layering, you know, your creativity with what um, what the person in a commission piece, what the person is asking for. So I just, I mentioned two words. I'm like, here's two words go from there, you know, and, and then we'll, if we need to tweak, but hopefully we won't. And, um, and this, I guess it's something, you know, that's similar. You don't want to stifle the artist because that's their, that's their gift. I mean, if, if you had the creativity or if you have that, you would be able to do it, you know, and that's what I'm telling you. If I had the creativity, I would just do it myself, but I don't. So I'm asking somebody else uh, to join in, join in that process. And so, yeah, stifling the creativity, I think is one of the things that um, I'm always nervous about when I'm giving, even with jewelry design, because you and I were talking about Mercy Jewelry earlier. I throw some beads down on the table and we're trying to move it around. And, and, and it's, 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 it's definitely not as technical as process as music. I can tell you, I'm sure that's true. But at the same time, there's so much heart and, and love that goes into your own piece, you know, and, and then sending it out into the world. So what do you feel like when you hear something of yours for the first time, somewhere out in, you know, in the world somewhere. And you're just like, oh, wow, you know, it's coming back to me. I'm hearing it. What, uh, what are some thoughts on that? Just your personal, has it ever happened to where you're like, oh, that's not how I wrote it. Or that's, (laughs) you know, that's exactly what I was thinking. Or, you know, are you too much of your own personal critique um, uh, critic? That's a, that's a really good question. Um, You know, in the age of social media and YouTube, um, you can find, I can go and find 30 different versions of a song I wrote all by very 
proficiencies of groups or whatever. And many of them are not professional groups. And some of them, you think, gosh, you know, how did they get to there from what I wrote on the <laughs> But you know mm -hmm. what? Mm -hmm. I don't write... I don't write from my own experience. My writing is a calling and it's also a way that I serve the church. And so mm. um, when I write music, I release it kind of, that sounds weird. I release it to the universe, but I don't, I, I release no, I it can't. and it becomes someone else's worship. Mm -hmm. And in that light, I'm incredibly honored when any choir of any proficiency or any group or any symphony or any orchestra performs my music because it's a vehicle that they use to connect to God. And that's just an incredibly humbling thing. Mm. Um, as far as my words returning back and my notes returning back to me that you mentioned, I was on, I took kind of an emergency little trip out West this summer. Just, I, I, I was overwhelmed with life and mm -hmm. had been for quite some time. And so I called up a college friend. I said, hey, can I just come out and see you? And we can walk the beach and walk the forest. And I just, I, for mental health and emotional mm -hmm. health, I just need this. And so we did. We spent three or four days just walking on the beach and walking through the woods. And it was time for us to drive back to the city after a couple of days. And we were driving out of this we were, we were driving out of this little beach town and we saw a sign, a little church with a sign that says choir concert Friday night, seven o'clock. And I looked at the clock on the dashboard in the car and it said 630. Mm -hmm. And so we slammed on the brakes and we did this really hard U-turn and we went back in this tiny little church, a little Lutheran church, and we sat down. There weren't very many of us in the audience, but this college choir group that was just visiting from somewhere, got up and they sang my own music back to me oh. in the concert. And God used that. It was, it was the most bizarre and surreal thing where the words that God had given me years ago to write, he used those same words and those same notes he had given me as a balm and a salve on a very wounded spirit. And it was the most surreal experience. Mm, that is beautiful. And what, uh, again, what an amazing gift um, that, that God gave you for that, just that, for that moment in time. And I think that was, that's a beautiful, beautiful thought. Um, and just an amazing thing. I love that story. What are some of your most, what have been some of your most fulfilling pro um, projects over the years? I pray over every piece of music. Um, mm -hmm. Every time I walk into my studio, so if I if I work on a song for a week, every day that week when I walk in, I'm praying that God would give me just the right words and just the right notes. I feel a great responsibility to be a channel for his voice. I mean, if I'm going to write God's music, I don't want to mess it up, right? If I'm going to write God's message, I, I feel the weight of that deeply. Yeah. And so my biggest prayer for years has been that God would put his power and his anointing on, on my calling and on my ministry and on my music. And I, I've actually wept over that in my prayers. And so my mm. most fulfilling projects, I think, are when I can see God actually writing through me and I can see his 
his power and anointing on words and notes that I know that I would not have written on my own. Is that weird? Is that egotistical to say, I don't, I don't mean that from that place. It's very humbling when you write a phrase and realize that there was nothing of you in that phrase. There was nothing of you in that whole verse that you just wrote because it, it's just, you could not have written it on your own. I think that that is the most fulfilling part of what I do is just, um, when, when, when God takes over kind of. Yeah, no, I, and I, I understand, I understand what you're saying. And I think we've, many of us have been in that situation where we know that, and we're thankful for God having taken over, you know, um, and whether it's in, whether it's in music writing or whether it's, um, when we're, when we are in a speaking, in a speaking capacity and speaking engagement or whatever it is, there are times when I'm like, okay, I know that wasn't me, you know, and I'm glad it wasn't me because I know I, it would have looked different or would have sounded different. And so I, you know, that's not egotistical. That's completely. And I think that's where the, where the Lord calls us to just be empty of ourselves and, and, uh, and be filled, filled with his um, and be controlled by his spirit. And uh, thank you so much for sharing just some of this deeply personal stories that you've had and some of the, you know, just wonderful, uh, times that God has given you throughout the years. I want to finish as we always do. I want to finish with a few rapid fire questions. And when I say rapid fire questions, they are just, just what, just like that, just to have a quick answer and, um, and no judgment at all. Okay. (laughs) So we're just gonna, we're just gonna go over this. And, um, and so it's just, we're going to start easy. What's your favorite, what's your favorite meal? Oh gosh. I've never outgrown pizza. Yes. And Reba would totally agree with you if she were, if she were here, pizza. Very good. So when you're eating pizza, what's the favorite movie that you want to throw on and, and watch while you're eating, eating the pizza? Oh, I don't have a favorite movie. Isn't that awful? Um, I like to get hooked on different series. Uh, oh yeah. Right now I'm on Mary Tyler Moore. Cause I grew up in Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Well, that's a good, that's a good one. I like that one. Um, what, okay. What's on your nightstand? Hopefully it's not a trumpet. (laughs) No, uh, a picture of my dog. There you go. Okay. And what's your dog's name? Darla. Darla. Cute. And, uh, okay. So what just, uh, take us through a moment that you are, that, that fills you with joy. Just one moment in your life currently that's just filling you with joy. Okay. I got a new car yesterday. That filled Mm. me. That's very materialistic. It's um, not, it's important. <laughs> it's important. And God provided non-materialistic things that fill me with joy is having coffee with friends and just mm-hmm. solving all the world's problems. Yeah. Oh, I know. I understand that. And so what is something that you're deeply grateful for? Um, God's provision and God's love. I've been reminded of that in the last few days. Oh, amen. And so our last question that we always ask everybody is what is besides the Bible what is your favorite book or a, a good book you're reading right now? Or besides your own music, we get it. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, pass. <laughs> Let's come back to that one. Yeah, that's fine. And then, you know, and then our, again, our last question that, and this is one, another one that we, we ask everybody is what is the one thing that keeps you rooted deep? Prayer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's good. I have good it's friends really good. who hold me accountable. Yeah, believers who will call me out kindly and say, "What are you doing?" <laughs> you know, <laughs> where are you going? 
That's awesome. (laughs) That's good. Heather, thank you so much for this time um, that you've just shared with us about the power of music and about the process of just um, sharing what the Lord has given you and that talent and gift that Lord has given you um, to share with with the churches in America. And I'm really grateful for that. And thank you so much for your time. And I hope we hope that to hear from you again. Now, if there's any link or if anybody wants to order Heather Sorensen music, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, if you go to heathersorensen.com, there's a contact link right there on my website and it will send me an email. Okay, good. All right. Thank you so much for today. Yeah, it was fun chatting. All right. Well, everybody remember, this is, uh, this is Heather Sorensen. You can reach her um, at heathersorensen.com if you want to order some of her music or possibly uh, see about her coming and teaching your choir a few things. Um, maybe, maybe not. You never know. And uh, we'll try to get her down here to the Dominican Republic where it's nice and warm. And uh, other than that, everybody stay rooted deep. Thank you for listening to Rooted Deep. To learn more about Dare for More Ministries, go to dareformore.org and look up Mercy Workshop at mercyjewelry.org.